Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, if you are new to LifePoint or newish to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at our campus in Westerville. We have campuses in Lewis Center and Delaware, Plain City, our newest one in Marion, and obviously here in Westerville. Grateful to have you with us. Uh, on behalf of all of our teams and all of our staffs, and, and uh, just want to say uh, welcome. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. Glad that you came to our noon service uh, on Easter Sunday. This is a, the best one, uh, so I'm glad that you're here. Um, I saved something extra for you. You'll see. I'm digging deep. Um, Want to want to say this to you guys? Uh, if you are newish and you haven't checked in with us yet, uh, do me a favor and uh, take out your phone and either type in lpguest.com or just turn on your camera and put on the QR code on a chair in front of you. That'll take you to our landing page, which is our online connect card. So all the information you might want to know about our church, uh, you can find there. There's uh, guest information. There's upcoming events. Uh, there are sermon notes. If you click that, you can actually follow along and take notes yourself. It's interactive, and you can actually email those to yourself or take a screenshot of them. Like That way you can kind of keep a record of what God's teaching you today. Um, then on the guest information button, if you click that one, fill out a little bit of information. It won't take you very long. Scroll down and at the bottom there, tell us how you heard about LifePoint. And then there are five ministries we support at all of our campuses. If you check one of those boxes, whichever one is of interest to you, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry just to say thanks for checking in with us today. So I was thinking um, about my wife, Tammy, and I. We've been married 25 years, but at the very first, you know, couple of months into, into marriage, um, like, I did some things I wouldn't typically do because of, uh, you know, of my love for her. It's like, we, you know, we had apartments. We were dating. We had apartments. But when you come together, when you get married, so, you know, you have to combine stuff. So sometimes you get rid of stuff. Sometimes you keep stuff. Sometimes you have to negotiate stuff. Well, anyway, she comes to me. It's like a month into, the, into marriage, and she comes to me. She goes... She goes, honey, Eddie, I'm so happy to be your wife. You're, you're such a wonderful husband. I'm so glad we got married. But I have a request. I, I need you to do one thing for me, and I promise I won't ask you anything else. But I have one request. Would you, could, could you please get us a new bed? See, I had a super single waterbed, and it was awesome. Like, it was small, so she couldn't run from me. I mean, it was warm, and it was everything I ever dreamed of a bed. But, because I love her, I got a proper bed, and uh, she was happy for six weeks. Anyway, six weeks later, she comes to me, and she goes, Eddie, my sweet, sweet husband, I love you so much. I'm so happy that you married me, and just, I'm, I'm the happiest wife of all time, but I have a request, and I promise I will never ask for anything else. I have a request could you, could you please buy us a puppy? <laughs> How many of these can you do? Like, is there a limit? You know, I don't really know. Um, but here's a picture of the puppy that we got. Uh, he was adorable. He was actually a rescue puppy, and he was a lab chow mix. And he was jet black, but he, his, when he would sit down like that, his little front leg would shake. So he reminded us of Elvis, so we named him Presley. And uh, it was a cute, cute dog. But... That's the thing. When you love someone, you'll do things you wouldn't normally do. Isn't that true? Maybe you've had times in your life, if you're a parent, you've definitely done it. Like, you do things when you love someone that you wouldn't normally do. Easter. God did something that you wouldn't do unless you love the people. Like, Easter is Resurrection Sunday. It is the most uh, exclamation point of the love of God that you can get. Um, the, the fact that the tomb was empty 
It's just the grace and mercy of God displayed for all of us uh, to see. And in that, you realize that you can't get to Easter Sunday without dealing with Friday night and what he did on the cross. And it was necessary, and it's the only way to make it so that we could be in relationship with him. You see, God is in heaven, and he's holy, and he's perfect, and it's eternal. Heaven is eternal, and there's no sin in heaven. So we have a problem, and here's the thing. We all know that we sin, and and no one likes to talk about that kind of a statement, I'm a sinner, but it's true, and we know it. What we do, though, is we find someone else who sins worse than us, and then we feel better. I'm like, there's always somebody. I I point to this person. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm good. And that person has a person. That person might have you. We all have a person. And we justify ourselves and make ourselves feel better. But deep down, we know in our soul we've done things and it's offended God. We don't know that we're right with God. That's why people hope that they've done enough or hope that they're okay but the thing is, because heaven's eternal, it doesn't matter how much or how little you've sinned, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means we can't inherit the kingdom of God. So what does God do? He sends his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but it would have eternal life. He sent his son to die on the cross. He took on all of the sin of the world at one time, and he took it full bore. He died, and because of that, He literally destroyed the power of sin and death over our lives. And on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And that's the exclamation point of the grace and mercy of God to us. God did something no one should ever have to do. He did it because he loved us. And let me tell you something. And I think at this season of my life, I'm convinced that if people understood how much God loved them, it would change everything about them. It's like we're all in some wrestling match trying to grasp whether or not God loves us. But I'm telling you, if we could get just a little bit more of that into our souls, it would change everything about us. It would change the way we look at the past. You know how many people I've met who look at their past and look at sins they've committed and think God will never forgive that? They'll look at their past and think, well, these things people said to me, that's my identity. Things that hurts and wounds, we look at those differently. If we knew how much God loves us, it would change the way we even see those things. And it would definitely change the future. It would change the way we look at life and the way we we look at our purpose in life. It would change right now how we deal with the people in our lives, the relationships we have, the people that we love, the people that we are classmates with, the people that we work with, our neighbors, and people that we struggle with. It would change everything about us. But it's difficult to grasp the love of God. So today, my hope is just to remind you of it. And for some of you, I hope that you, maybe for the first time, start to understand. And, and my prayer has been that we would somehow all grasp a little bit more of the love of God today. So here's what I'm gonna do. Where I'm gonna pray for us before we dig into the passage. And, and I love this passage. It's in Luke 23. And uh, you can follow along in the sermon notes if you do that. Uh, I'm gonna say a few things that'll help keep you tracking with me. Um, but before we get there, let's take a second just to pray. Here's what I want you to do. Everywhere around the room, when you close your eyes, I just want you to ask God, God, speak to me today. And I'll pray for all of us, okay? Let's pray. Father, I know there's a purpose for all of us in this room. You know right where we are at in our spiritual journey. Meet us today right where we're at. God, draw us closer to you. Help us to see your love. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the first thing I wanna share with you is, and this is how God proved his love for us. Uh, And the first way that you see it is that Jesus ascended the mountain that no one wants to climb. 
in context in Luke 23, here's what's happened. Jesus has been on the scene for three and a half years. He has been, he gathered his disciples, he trained them, he taught them, he taught the masses, he taught them about, you know, the kingdom of God and, and the importance of who God is and, you know, all of the things. He did miracles, he walked on water, he calmed the storm, he raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he's been doing it all. And now he's gone into Jerusalem. This is after the Last Supper. He's gone into Jerusalem and they've taken him and they've beaten him and, and you know, they've just, you know, they, they, they ruined his body. They beat him with a cat and nine tails until his blood uh, was pouring and his, you know, skin was broken to pieces and they punched him in the face. Then they took a crown of thorns and weaved it and they shoved it into his skull. <clears throat> they punched him in the face and said, hey, tell us who hit you. Like, like they just, they, they tortured him and then they made him carry a cross. Not the whole cross, but part of the cross beam. They wanted him to carry it. He can't carry it. He's trying, but then he, they realize he can't carry it. So they grab another guy and say, you're gonna carry this. And here's where it picks up in Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You know, <clears throat> when, you, when you read that, you, you know the story. If you've been in church, you've come on Easter Sundays before, uh, you've been around the church, you know the story, but it's like wallpaper. Like, you know it's there, you just don't think about it. And if this is brand new to you, then... I want you to think about it. Jesus had to go up a place called the skull. Now, the skull is Golgotha, is what it means, and here's what it looks like. You see how, like, the little picture of the face, and here's another picture. You can kind of see it a little bit differently. You kind of see, depending on the angle, that's the place of the skull, Golgotha. In Latin, the word translated means Calvary, which you probably know, Mount Calvary, and it was on top of that mountain is where Jesus was crucified. He had to ascend. He had to climb that mountain to be crucified. But you have to ask yourself this question. If he could calm the wind and the waves, if he could raise Lazarus from the dead, if demons obeyed him, couldn't he have just snapped his fingers and stopped the whole thing? I mean, why, why did he do it? I mean, why did he do it? You see, he ascended a mountain that none of us want to climb. I was thinking about this, that you know, he's, he's, being, he's going up there to be crucified between two criminals. Uh, in, in Isaiah 53, it's an amazing passage by a prophet written about 750 years before Jesus. And when he wrote it, he kind of outlines what happened on the cross, why Jesus came to die. He was bruised for our iniquities. He's crushed for our infirmities. He was literally just broken for our sin to, to, so that we could have peace. We could be forgiven. And as he's writing all this out, the, the prophet, he says this in, in 53, 12. He says, he was counted among transgressors. He was crucified between two common criminals, given the same sentence. That's the savior of the world. Why do that? I, I um, you know, I, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, that it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I wrestle with that statement. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't mean he enjoyed the cross. It means he had a joy about him of what was gonna happen on the cross that was bigger than the pain he was gonna suffer. He knew why the cross was necessary. He knew that the sin of the world would be laid upon him. He understood what that would provide for you and me, that we could be set free of sin and death, that the chains of sin and death were gonna be broken completely. Jesus was never out of control. He on the cross broke the enemy completely with what he did. And he had joy in that. 
Now, here's the thing. I think you and I, we spend our entire lives trying to avoid death. Have you ever met someone, and maybe this is you, where you got a diagnosis and then immediately you start to change your life? I know people who like went to extreme changes of their diet and of their lifestyle just because they got you know, a scare or a health issue. Like They like changed their life. Why? Because they want to avoid death. I, people don't like to talk about it. It's heavy. Um, when we, you know, we all have to go to funerals, right? And it's in your face at a funeral. And we feel the weight of it, right? We do everything we can to avoid death. Nobody wants to climb that mountain. And yet Jesus came for the specific purpose to die. That's incredible. Second thing I wanna share is this, is that Calvary revealed the heart of Jesus. Calvary revealed the heart of Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he served others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. I mean, so imagine, Jesus goes up on Calvary, they lay him down and then they drive nails into his you know, hands and his feet nail him to a cross. He's already been beaten and now he's up there and he's gonna die between two criminals and what they do is they put this sign over him saying this is the king of the Jews. That was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor's way of saying, hey Jews, here's your king, don't mess with Rome. That's what he was doing. And then not only that, though, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders are literally saying, hey, uh, if, you're, if you're the chosen one, why don't you pull yourself down? You know, you saved other people, why can't you save yourself? They're mocking him. Like, it's not enough to kill him. Like, at some point, you know, you kill someone. Maybe, maybe at some point you feel some mercy or grace. I don't know. I've never had to have that situation in my life. But why not just let it be? No, they're mocking him at his worst moment. And then on top of that, there, there are these other guys who are literally casting lots for his clothing. Like, oh, I want to get a piece of his clothing. I want to say I got the king of the Jews' clothing. He was so famous and so popular among the Jews. They just want it. What's interesting is if you go to Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18, here's what it says. This was written uh, by David. It's a psalm uh, that's, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus. It says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Isn't it interesting, written hundreds of years before Jesus, that through the Holy Spirit, David was communicating what was gonna happen to the Messiah. An interesting line there, that they have pierced his hands and feet. That's just a weird statement. To, you know, back then, they didn't even know what crucifixion was. And yet, that's exactly how he died. They're, they're you know, obviously gloating and mocking him, but they're casting lots for his clothing. In all of this moment, imagine here's Jesus, who the, the word says that all things were made by him and for him. That means Jesus actually created the very people who were mocking him torturing him and putting the sign over him, casting lots for him. They're doing all of this. And what does he say? What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Dad, don't hold it against them. They're, they're, just, they're just messed up inside. They're broken by sin. They, they're full of hatred. They don't get it. They, they don't get it. Don't hold it against them. Who does that? 
Listen, if you cut me off in traffic, I'm not saying, Father, forgive that driver. <laughs> they don't know what they do. No, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, why did you do that, fool? Like, come on. Like, I, do you see? It's not normal for us. How does it reveal Jesus' heart? Well, look, everyone wants to know God. We all want to know what God is like. And more importantly, we want to know, are we good? Are we okay, God? Like, am I okay with you? Are you going to accept me? Or is it going to be okay if, if I come up there someday? Are you going to accept me? We all want to know that. And the reason is because we don't know what God's heart is like. And so that's why we try to control things. And like, well, I better be a good person. I better do this. I better, you know, and all these things in our mind we want to try to do. Why? Because we want to make sure God is okay with us. But you want to know what the heart of God is? You, the only way you can know the heart of God is you can see what he's revealed in the Old Testament, which is just sometimes a little bit unclear, but you see it in his son. You see, Jesus had his disciples, his friends, and Philip asked him, show us the father. And he said, Philip, don't you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So if you wanna know the heart of God, you have to look at Jesus. What is God's heart like? What was Jesus' heart right here? In the midst of his worst moment on earth, he looked and said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the heart of God. I think we, we try to steer clear of God sometimes. I know people that um, they, they don't wanna come too close to God. They wanna steer clear of him because they just don't know what he's like. So what they do is they kind of like make up things about who God might be and say, well, God must be like this or this or this. And, and then somehow that gives them the right to kind of step back from God. God and I don't have anything to do with each other. Well, there's things that happen in the world. There's, there's evil and disease and things that happen. And if God were real, he would fix all this. And really what they're doing is they're dismissing the connection with God, using something to do that so that they don't have to come close. Because deep down, what I've found is most people are afraid because they don't know if God will love them. But if you get it, if you understand how much he loves you, it changes you. It changes the way you see the past, the future, the people, purpose. It changes everything. If God really loves me, I don't have to prove myself to him. If God really loves me, then these people can't define who I am. If God really loves me, my, my mistakes don't define me. If God really loves me, then I can freely give it out. I can love other people. What about people who I don't like? Could I love them? What about people who don't like me? Could I love them? Yes. Why? Because that's the heart of God in you. When you get the heart of God, it changes everything. Let me tell you about a person I think that really understood this uh, and got a lot of it, grasped the heart of God. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know the name Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary. She and her husband, Jim, were missionaries. And, and they were so uh, enamored with the heart of God that they decided to live their lives to help other people to know who Jesus was so that they would hear the message of the gospel, the truth of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So they studied and they, and they prepared. And after years, they decided to move to Ecuador in the, you know, the mid-50s. And they went down there and Jim was a pilot and he had his missionary buddies down there and they were gonna reach out to a people group, an ancient tribe that was really kind of a murderous tribe. You know, they would kill other tribes and they would kill each other. And it was just, you know, it was terrible. And on top of that, you know, they, they didn't have any access to the word of God, had, did not know about Jesus. So they decided they're gonna to try to reach this tribe because Jesus said that every tribe and tongue would hear the word of God. So they took that seriously and they went to this tribe. And so over, for months and months, Jim would fly his plane and would send gifts down to the people. He and his, his missionary buddies, they would do everything they could to connect to the tribe in order to come in peace and let them know they were coming in peace. And one day they landed the plane and they went out to see the tribe 
And that was the day that they were all killed. They were killed with spears. You can read about that or see that in the end of the spear, how it was chronicled. One of the things I learned about it was that they had a gun and they left it in the plane. They never brought it with them. They were not gonna use it. They allowed themselves to be killed rather than to shoot these people. Isn't that something? So Elizabeth and Jim had a little baby. So now she's a widow and has a little, you know, an orphan baby. And so what do you, what do, you do? She was obviously devastated. What happened? She, she stayed and a woman from the tribe made contact and they developed a friendship. And over the next two years, she learned the language of the tribe. She dedicated herself to knowing everything she could about the tribe. And after two years, she was invited to come and live with the tribe. And she did. So for several years, she lived with a tribe of people who actually killed her husband. And you know what she did? She shared the gospel with them. She helped them to understand all about Jesus and about what he did on the cross and how his heart for them, and even though that their behaviors you know, wouldn't honor God, that God loved them. And he, she shared all of that, and that most of the tribe became Christians, including the people who killed her husband. Can you imagine that? How do you live like that? You would have to know the heart of God. It would have to be in you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It becomes real to you when the heart of God is in you. Lastly, there was a promise made on the mountain that we shouldn't ignore. There was a promise made on the mountain that we should not ignore. Here's what it says, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, just think about that moment for a second. You've got these two thieves up there and they're obviously angry and upset and they're physically, you know, they're dying. And they know that this is it. They're gonna die on this cross. And they look over and they're hurling insults at Jesus, you know, maybe mocking him, maybe joining in the crowd. And one of them just keeps going. And finally, the other one, somehow, somehow it occurs to him and it dawns on him that this isn't right. It's wrong and he knows it. And he looks over at the guy and he says, you need to cool it, bro. Like, stop it. And then he owns his stuff. Like, he owned it. He goes, we are up here justly. We deserve what we're getting. And he owned his, his sin, and he looks at Jesus. This guy, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. This is wrong to even have him up here. You need to cool it, buddy. And then he does something. He takes a faith leap. Now, he must have known about Jesus. He must have heard about Jesus. Now, Jesus was the most popular and famous figure in the area. So he must have at least heard the stories about Jesus. And he looks over at Jesus and says, Jesus, Will you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus makes a promise on that spot and says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. Today. I mean, that is incredible. I mean, if, can you imagine the person who's there and they're, they're dying on the cross and they have no hope and their only hope is to maybe find something. And so he puts all of his faith, he owns his stuff, he puts all of his faith and Jesus said, Jesus, will you please remember me? And Jesus makes him a promise today Today, you're gonna to be with me. You know, a lot of people think, so what happened to Jesus? There's some people out there that teach that Jesus went to hell for three days and was tortured. That is not true. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't end his life on that day. He was still alive spiritually. 
He was alive. His body was in the tomb, but he was alive. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus was never out of control. He actually broke Satan's power on the cross. Sin and death, he broke that on the cross. He was always in charge. He allowed this to happen. And he could make that claim because he was in charge. So yes, he said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise because he could, he could make that happen. That's a promise. What boggles my mind, what I don't get, what, what I think should make everyone a little bit squeamish inside is, what about the other, the other criminal? Like, didn't he listen to what it was just said? Didn't he say, you know what? Um, wait a second, what did you say? Today? Huh? Mm, I have, let's see, nothing going for me. And uh, maybe I should consider asking him too. Hey, Jesus, I know what I just said. Uh, I was just angry. I'm stupid. Uh, you know, could today, like, could we do it? Like, why does he say that? There's no record. It looks like he completely ignored the whole thing. And here's the thing. For some reason, I meet people all the time who ignore that promise. They do. They think, I'm just gonna keep going as normal. Hey, that's nice for you, Ed. I'm glad you found something that works for you. I meet other people who are like, well, I'm just not ready for that. I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus. And they just ignore the promise that was made. And here's the deal. He made that promise for everybody that we can all come to faith. I know lots of people who struggle with faith. I, I, um, let, me, let me tell you a quick story about a guy who, he had went to Bible college for a year and his intention was to become a pastor and he was gonna share the gospel with the world. He wanted to see you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people fall in love with Jesus. That was his intention. He, go, he went to Bible college and some things didn't work out the way he wanted. He came home and, and I was seeing him was a couple years later and he was struggling with his faith. You see, he had some goals and dreams and they just didn't happen. So he kind of, he kind of like was thinking, well, maybe God's not there because these things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. And so he's telling me all of these things and he's going through the whole thing and, and he's like, he's ready to walk away from Jesus completely. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, dude, why don't, why don't you just walk away then? Which is not what you typically say to people who are struggling. I said, why don't you just walk away? He's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm like, look, I can, I can help you out right now. I can get rid of all this turmoil in your soul. He's like, you can? I said, yeah. All you have to do is admit the resurrection didn't happen. He looked at me, which again, I don't typically say that kind of thing. But for him, no problem. Here's why. Because you know what I would do? Like I've had people come to me who are skeptics that don't know the truth. And they'll ask me the question, well, why do you believe in the resurrection? And I, I tell them, well, first off, you, where's the body? Because here's the deal. Jesus died and it was in the best interest of the Romans and the Jewish leaders to produce a body. And so this whole movement starts to take place where people are turning to Jesus that they believe that he rose from the grave. All you had to do was produce a body. So the Romans could simply grab and say, well, here's your, here's your dead Messiah. You know, that Jewish leaders do the same thing and it's all over. But there was no body. So where'd the body go? And you gotta ask yourself, you need to think through this thing. Where did the body go? One option is this, and maybe you can, maybe this is a possibility in your mind. They went down. Who's they? I don't know. Someone had a motive. They went down and they stole the body. They just got the body and they hid the body. They buried it, put it in an ocean, whatever they did. You know, they just, they just, why would they do that though? What's the motive behind it? I know what we'll do. We'll make up a story that he rose from the grave, you know? But how did they get the body? That was a Roman guard in front of the tomb. And if they come back and they don't have a body, their lives are on the line. So how are you gonna beat the Roman guard? 
I don't know, maybe you, you sprinkle like sleeping dust in their sleep and you know, they, they just don't wake up and you get the body, you get it out. And somehow you got it past there. Well, what's the, what's the purpose of that? That you're gonna create a hoax and tell everybody that Jesus rose from the grave? So here's what you do. You get your other 11 guys around and you all pinky swear. All right, we're all going to our graves and we're gonna, we're, we're gonna promise we saw Jesus rise from the grave. And you know what happens to them all? They all get killed. All of them get killed. They all get killed for their faith. And now look, maybe the 11 you could get, but what about all the women there at the tomb? Like someone's gonna break. Now what about James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus? Now remember, if you read scripture, these two guys were skeptics of their older brother Jesus. Remember there's a point in scripture where they say, hey Jesus, why don't you head down to Jerusalem? Why? Because they knew the officials were looking for Jesus. And they were essentially saying, all right Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, big boy, why don't you go down there and hang out with your, you know, these people who are against you? They were skeptics. Do you know what? Once they saw Jesus risen from the grave, they no longer called him brother, they called him Lord. And they went to their deaths because of it. What do you do with Paul? Paul was a Jewish official who was persecuting the church. He was so against the church and against Jesus, he was out there rounding up Christians, trying to put them in jail. And while he's out there, Jesus appears to him, and now he's like, I'm all in. And he went to his death believing he saw Jesus rise from the grave. In fact, he wrote about it in Corinthians. He wrote to the people of the church of Corinth who hadn't seen Jesus rise from the grave, but some of them had. And he talked about how there was more than 500 people who saw Jesus rise from the grave and was there on the mountain where he ascended into heaven. He's basically writing to them saying, hey, you know these people, go ask them. So here's the deal. When I meet a skeptic, it's like, you know, I just say, look, how do you explain all this? There's no motive that works because they all went to their deaths for it. They believe they saw Jesus rise from the grave. And I didn't have to say any of that to my friend because he knew it all. I didn't have to tell him any of these details. He knew. And I just said, look, if you can walk away from the resurrection, you're fine. No more tension for you. But here's the deal. He knew he couldn't walk away from it. And if the Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it's a game changer. Look, life isn't exactly like I plan it in my head. But if Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he's in charge and he has a plan. If Jesus Christ rose from the grave, he does love us and he has some purpose for our life. And even though we don't understand it, we can submit and say, all right, Jesus, you're in charge. Help me to follow you. My friend, he didn't walk away from his faith. He doubled down. He became a believer again and he started to follow Jesus with his life. And he does to this day. He's, he couldn't walk away because he knew the resurrection was true. And the resurrection is, a, is literally the, the drop the mic moment of God explain how much he loves us. We can't ignore it. And I think for most of us in this room, we have already come to grips with this truth and we've said, yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus. We've already dealt with that. We've, we've said, okay, I wanna follow you. And for us today is a reminder of the love of God. And we need that love of God in our heart more and more to impact, like comes into us and pours out on other people. And the truth is sometimes we get caught up in our own stuff and we don't let it come in and pour out. And sometimes we ignore God. Like we need that reminder all the time. God loves us. He made that clear. But for some of you, it's possible that you're still trying to ignore God. You're, it's like you just don't believe that he loves you that much. And maybe you're thinking, well, I gotta clean my life up. Like I've gotta, I've gotta do better. I've gotta start going to church more. I've gotta start serving more. I gotta write more checks. I gotta take care of orphans and widows. I need to stop doing these four things. You're like, we think, I, I can't tell you how many people I've met who are like, I need to clean my life up. But can I ask you something? What did Jesus say on the cross? Did he look over at the thief and go, hey man, I know you asked me about the paradise thing, but dude, we need to take some uh, stock of your situation. You, um, 
like, you could probably, like, maybe work harder, and maybe you could clean up your life a little bit, start going to church, get baptized for sure, dude. Like, you need to get it done before I'm willing to take you in here. He didn't say any of that. Do you know what he said? Today. (laughs) I said, okay, today, you're with me. This man made a faith leap. He owned his stuff, and he made a faith leap. That's all that's required, and it's the same with all of us. How do you know that God loves you? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever takes a faith leap, whoever recognizes that he's the Messiah, that means you own your stuff and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Like you own that and you take a faith leap. Whoever believes shall not perish, but shall have eternal life in Christ. It is a exclamation point of the grace and mercy of God. Some of you in the room, though, my, my hunch is that you're, you struggle with making that decision because you've just, you have a hard time believing that God is gonna forgive you and that he loves you. Can I just talk to you for a second? So if you're in the room and that's not your situation, just, just give me a second, okay? I wanna talk to you that if you, if you feel like I wanna accept Christ, but I'm just struggling, let me, let me help you with something. So my dog, remember my puppy Presley? Well, he grew up. Here's a picture of Presley. He is, you know, he was a big uh, black lab chow mix and, you know, he was just a big part of our family for 13 years. I love my dog. Um, He, as he got older, he developed arthritis and you know how old dogs get, sometimes they struggle to get up and they grump a little bit and they don't move around like they used to and uh, he was like that. We found out he had arthritis and we found a medicine for him that really worked and kind of masked that pain and kind of made him feel like his old self. So even at his age, you know, he was a geriatric, but he still had that kind of puppy in him a little bit and... um, the problem was that the manufacturer of the drug uh, somehow got hindered and we couldn't get the medicine for 30 days. So for 30 days, we had to put him on a different medicine. Now, the different medicine didn't work. So he, was, he, would, you know, he would just grump trying to get up and move around. And he just, he just felt like an old dog that was hurting all the time rather than his old playful self. And so for 30 days, we endured that and we got the, the medicine back and we gave it to him. And almost like that, he snapped right back. He felt great again. Well, that first day, we, um, it was during the holidays. My wife, my girls, and my father-in-law all went to Bucyrus for a family function, a holiday thing. And we're up there all day. And you know how it is when you come home after the dog's been by themselves all day? They get kind of excited to see you. Well, he was feeling like his puppy self again. So he was so excited to see us. When we came in the door, he jumped up like to see my wife. And when he came up like he did, you know, he came down. And when he hit the ground, he made a noise a bad noise, like a yelping noise. And he was doing it over and over and over again. And Tammy said, Ed, Ed, the dog. And I'm running in like, what happened? And all he's doing, he's sitting there and he's kind of making this noise and he's got his little paw up. I'm thinking, did he hurt his foot? Did he step on something? Did he break a nail? Something happened to his foot. And so I go down to grab his foot because I'm gonna look at it. When I go to grab his foot, he comes down and he bites my thumb. Now, for 13 years, this dog has never bitten anyone in his life, but he's clamping onto my thumb and he's not letting go and he's clamping as hard as he can. I honestly thought he was gonna crush my thumb. And it, I mean, it was something, right? He's just biting down. And I look at him, I said, Presley, Presley. And the third time I said, Presley. And he finally, he looked at me and he backed off. He let go of my thumb. Like, oh, am I in trouble kind of thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is happening So later that night, we found out he had cancer in his bones. And when he came down, he actually snapped a bone in his, in his shoulder. And so, you know, we had to, we had to put him down. Um, it was terrible, One of the, a terrible day, right? Um, 
But I learned something that day. I felt like God shared something with me in my soul that I didn't have before. You see, I didn't have any anger towards my dog. I, I never stopped feeling love for him. Wasn't mad that he was biting me. He was trying to, he was trying to ease his own pain. He was biting down as hard as he could because he was in such pain. He was just biting me. And I love that dog. I never felt anything but love for him in that moment. And it's in that moment, I think I understood, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. For some of you in here, maybe you're just biting at the hand of God because you just, you're in pain. A sin does that to us. It breaks us from the inside out. And sometimes we blame that on God and that's why we put our hand in God's face. But listen, it's time not to ignore what he's saying, the promise he made. It's time to let go of that. So here's what I would say to you. God loves you. And if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I wanna help you do that. It's a faith leap, just like the guy on the cross. I'll help you take that faith leap today. So let's stand and let's pray together. We're gonna sing a song here of celebration of who God is and of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we do that, for many of you, maybe this is just stirring up some stuff in you. Maybe you're like me. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but maybe you've been ignoring your relationship with God or maybe you need a resource. We have a place in the back left called Next Steps so if you wanna take a step in your journey of faith and maybe you need a resource, we have all these books back there and they'll give them to you for free. You just tell them what you want or maybe what you're struggling with and they'll give you one of those. If you just need prayer, they'll, go, they'll pray for you too. Whatever you need, just head back there. During this song, just kind of slip out of your seat and head back there and, and they'll help you. Or maybe after service, just go back there. Um, but for everyone else, let's take a second to pray. Just kind of close your eyes and bow your head and talk to God. If you're like me and you're a believer, you've already reconciled that in your soul and You've owned your stuff and said, Jesus, come into my life. If that's you, but you've been struggling to remember his love, maybe for you right now, just talk to him and say, Jesus, I see you, I hear you. Thank you for your love. But if you're here today and you would say, I've never made that decision like the guy on the thief, I'm sorry, the thief on the cross, I've never made the decision to, to call out to Jesus and to ask him to save me. Today's your day. Don't ignore his promise. Here's how you call out to him. It's pretty simple. Prayer is like you can talk in your head to God. You can say it in your, under your breath. It's about his heart. He's reading your heart anyway. So from your heart to the heart of God, here's what you say to him. Father in heaven, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. And then simply say, to Jesus, because it says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how you call on the name of Jesus. You say, Jesus, will you please forgive me of my sin? I'm owning it, just like the thief did. I know that what I've done is wrong, and I'm asking you, Jesus, will you please forgive me? He wants to forgive you, but you need to ask. Just say, Jesus, will you please forgive me of my sin? And then say, Jesus, will you lead my life? Help me to follow you. Will you accept the simple step of faith right now? You need to know this is all that he requires. He's already paid for it on the cross. All that is required of you is that you, in faith, follow him. That step of faith is what makes you right with the Father in heaven. Can I just say, as a, as a follower of Christ now, that's what you're saying today when you pray that. As a follower of Christ, I wanna help you take a first step in your faith journey. Jesus made a statement, and this is what it means to follow Christ. You, you sense that he's leading you, and you just follow. One of the things that he said was this, that if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven and all the angels. 
It's a big deal to Jesus. So a first step for you would be to acknowledge that. I'm gonna give you one way to do that right now. Between you and me and God in heaven, I'm gonna ask you to acknowledge that you just made that step in your heart to God. Here's how I want you to acknowledge him. Just simply raise your hand up so that I can see you and me and God. If that's you, anywhere in the room, and you just prayed that prayer to follow Jesus, raise your hand up. Yes, I see you, several of you on the left, yes. Anyone else? That's you, raise your hand up high enough to see, I am short, I need your help here. All right, you may put your hands down. Yes, I see you there up front, sorry about that. Anyone else? God, you are faithful. Prayers, I pray, God, you answer. You are good. You are loving. God, for people like me and people who struggle like I do at times, we just get caught up in our stuff and our circumstances and our junk, and we forget how much you love us, God. Remind our hearts today, God. For those who are taking first steps with you, I pray, Lord, you would meet them where they're at and help them to sense your love. Help them to sense your spirit in them as you guide them in this journey. God, walk with them in this journey. God, I pray for those in the room who just aren't ready yet to make that decision. God, I pray that they would sense that you are worth it and you are true and faithful. God, I pray that you're honored by all that we do today. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray.